You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to welcome you to the show here today. And as we begin our proceedings, I'd like to call out first to our helping spirits to gather round. So I call out to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to those people who lived well and died well and bring the legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful from our ancestral lines into our lives as the keepers of this wisdom. Those who remember that we might tap into that wisdom and learn from those who have gone before us. And I call out to these ancestors to help us, the living, to understand what it is in this life that we must hold true to, what practices, what ways of engaging with the greater world around us that have always been uh, tried and true and effective for humans to be their best selves. And I ask these ancestors to help us shove us a bit to understand where we need to innovate and create change, where it is that we are the people who are meant to respond to the challenges of our time and through that dynamic to bring forth the medicine that our own world is needing. We call out to these ancestors to help us to remember that we are meant to be the answers to their prayers. And help us to do that, to manifest those answers in a way that brings all that is needed here for those who are coming. And let us reach beyond our human ancestors, those that are easier for us to understand and connect with and reach beyond, to those non-human ancestors, to those spirit energies that exist in other forms, manifest here as the plants and the animals, the mountains, the rivers, all the many, many manifestations of life that are part of the great web of life that we share here on earth. And we ask these ancestral energies that have been here long before anyone ever dreamt up a human, we ask these old ones to help us to learn to surrender into our true nature and let that true nature to guide us more clearly forward into what it is that we have to bring into this world to enrich and enliven and bring vitality to that great web of life. And let us do so in a way that is good for all living things. And as these ancient ones gather around us and hold us well, let us call our own energy in from wherever it might be, drawing our awareness into the consciousness in our mind taking a nice deep breath and sinking that consciousness into your heart. Another breath and release and sink that consciousness down into your belly. Another breath and release and sink that consciousness to the earth. And take a moment here to stop everything except for this one thing, this one moment of heartfelt gratitude to the earth. To give thanks for all that has been in your life that has brought you to this moment, for all that is, And for all that will be, we give gratitude to the beauty and the diversity of this place. And we give thanks for the great generosity in the earth's dreaming so that anything that needs to be changed can still be changed as long as we are still breathing. And for this great dream of hope and possibility, let us draw our energy deep down into the earth as we reach for the very center of the earth, allowing the heartfelt gratitude to pour out that which we feel grateful for. There's countless, countless things to be grateful for. And let our gratitude pour out through all the layers of the earth as our focused energy dives down into the very center. And as we anchor ourselves there in the very center of the earth, let us reach out to that energy that draws its strength and power from darkness Silence, stillness, and peace. 
And as we reach deeply into that energy and begin to draw the earth's energy up into our body, let ourself receive this energy that nourishes and infuses, replenishes, revitalizes, restores. And as this energy flows up and into our body, let us get a sense of who it is that we truly are from where we stand taking a stand in our life knowing who we are what has heart and meaning what where do we stand and what do we stand for let's build our sense of home on this this which has heart and meaning not simply habit not simply running the programs that were handed to us by our elders but to be choiceful and to be sure that what it is that we do with our lives matters deeply to our heart Let us create a sense of home in that way and our sense of family and to remember to leave that door open to those who are different than we are, to leave a place at the table and be willing to feed those who are other than we are because it is these people who will challenge us through their diversity and differences to grapple with ourselves in a way that brings forth the men and the women that we are truly meant to be in our lives. And we call out to the energy of the earth to help us to more fully understand how to come into right relationship with all aspects of ourself, right relationship with others, with the earth, with that environment, and with the invisible world. And as we have this prayer that we come into right relationship, let us open to the possibility of a moment of sensing the oneness of all things. And in that moment, to draw that sense of true and deepest right relationship with ourselves, that our one true responsibility is to do what it is our soul has come here to do, and to do that in a way that nourishes the whole web of life. And with that understanding, let us raise our awareness up through our body, up and out the top of our head, into the sky, and whatever weather it holds for you at this time, out through the atmosphere and all the way up into the cosmos, out with the great mysteries of our universe and all the heavenly bodies. And let us reach to the highest power of the universe, and by whatever name we know this energy or however we conceive of it, let us reach to it and merge to draw that energy back in. Connecting there at these divine radiant light energies and drawing it back down, down through all the layers of the sky, into ourselves, into these proceedings, into our day with a conscious awareness that in this way we call in blessing into our lives, into our body and into our day. We call in the energy of protection in the same way. We call in the benevolence of our universe and we call in inspiration and illumination. We call in the mentors and the champions. We call in these energies that can be in different times in our life, the different kinds of guiding lights that we need, that we might be the guiding light that we are meant to be. And as we draw this energy in and send the energy of the sky the highest power of the universe all the way down to the center of the earth. And these two energies come together in us, the earth and sky. Let the big love of these two ancient legendary lovers to come alive within you, opening your center channel and that love energy opening up the spirit of your own heart. And let your heart open and inspire and bring online that crucible of transformation that lives in your heart that allows you to draw up the fiery passions of your own belly, that which your soul burns to do in this life. And call down the crystal clarity of the mind that has the ability to discern and create how we might do that. To bring those energies together in a great fiery passionate flamenco of excitement there in your heart and let that energy give birth to the third and most sacred thing which is some understanding or memory or inkling or intuition of why it is that you are here and may you reach deeply into that very same human heart and draw out the courage that you need to do something in this day large or small to bring those gifts to the world for that work by each of you, I give thanks. For the help that we receive from the spirits, I give great thanks. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. 
So I give thanks to all of you who donate to the show because Why Shamanism Now is listener-supported. It's because of listeners like you that the show is still on the air now into its eighth or ninth year. Honestly, at this moment, I've lost count. I have to go back and check the records. But anyway, I give thanks to you because you all, through your financial support, allow us to pay the bills that keep the show on the air. You can get them at co-creatornetwork.com. You can get them at iTunes and you can get them from the whyshamanismnow.com archives on that website. And we give gratitude to those of you that make that happen. With that said, I want to give thanks to special people in my own student community. Thanks to these people that joined me over this weekend for our very first event, uh, beginning the journey into eldership. And I want to give thanks to the courage in Jackie and Renata, in Maria and Masha, in Chris and Daniel, in Adele and Pauline for embarking on this journey over the next months to bring true eldership into manifestation in their lives and thus in our community. And this is absolutely critical at this time because the new ones, our first cycle babies, are being born. And for this community to be truly not just a shamanic community of learning and growth and study, but intergenerational in a way that we learn to manifest a new way of living, we need both. Those new ones coming in and the elders taking their place. Enormous gratitude for the courage of these people going off on this maiden voyage for our community. And as and they will be working with the wisdom offered through Tom Pinkson's um, fruitful aging process, which we reran that show last week. And last, last but not least, I would like to give thanks to Langston and Susanna and Christopher and Katrina and Richard, who joined us as minions, as those people younger in the community who would assist the elders in what they need, whatever it is that they need to support them on this journey so that they are not alone in spite of the fact that there is a certain solitary nature in reviewing your life and coming to understand what are your wisdom teachings and what is the medicine that you brought to the world and how do you give that to the people literally and directly with an understanding of death being right there as your ally and constant reminder, you don't have the time you think you did. And so with that, I would like to bring us into today's show. Um, speaking of not having the time you think you do, um, we are live today. So if you have questions about today's topic, it is about soul loss. And I looked back at all the shows over all the years and realized while I talk about soul loss and soul retrieval, in the context of other shows, that we only have one show that is directly about soul retrieval. I mean, we have some about shamanic healing, different things. But I thought this is absolutely ridiculous since this is, of course, precisely the energy that brought me into my own shamanic life, which was the clear uh, directive from spirit back in the very, very beginning that this was um, – the reason that I was here, what I was supposed to be doing. And after 30 years of uh, soul retrieval work, I have a few things to say about that. And I'm amazed that we only have one show in the archive. So here is to remedy that situation because I don't have all the time in the world either. So without further ado, today's show is about soul loss. What is soul loss? What causes soul loss? Is it real? How do I know if I have soul loss? And most important of all, what do we do about it? Okay. So the other show in the archives is called Soul Retrieval and its place in modern healing. And it answers many of the questions um, I'll be answering today. I'm sure there'll be some duplication of information. But it's a show that was done back in 09. So um, as we move on, I want to answer many of these questions today. Um, so most contemporary people in the Western world are living in a state of soul loss. And this is this is an aspect that is different from how soul loss manifested and was dealt with in traditional pre-contact shamanic cultures around the world. Um, for us today, because we experience uh, soul loss in um, and adapt to each loss over time, we collectively live with a much greater degree of soul loss than 
we could if it all happened at once. And I'll come back to that later in the show with some more context. But my point is that because most Western people, most people raised in the Western world, at least those people, if not many people around the world, um, who are living in a state of constant warfare, a state of constant struggle with elements, whatever that might be, are also living in a state of soul loss. And this becomes then the underlying fabric uh, in our relationship with our soul that does and doesn't support the health of our body. And so often soul loss is part of what is at the root of what ails us both mentally and physically. And so if you knew this, why wouldn't you fix this first? And so kind of the point of this show is to give even people who know very little about shamanism, information about soul loss and soul retrieval so they would simply address this as part of whatever their efforts are for mental and physical and spiritual healing. I mean, often people who are seeking spiritual healing are more likely to stumble on this information and go there. But it is often a part of what, a part of what is underlying chronic mental and physical problems as well as... Um, what appear to be some sort of um, acute manifestation of something. So the most important thing to understand for contemporary people is, I wonder if I'm in a state of soul loss is a useless question. You most likely are. So the question becomes then, how do I go forward and reconcile this uh, problem within myself? Okay, so what is soul loss? Okay, so the problem with talking about soul loss with contemporary people is we're unbelievably fussy about what we think our souls are. And yet, if you really begin to question most contemporary people about their soul and what they know, if you question more deeply, you find that most people have kind of a cobbled together network of sort of half-assed implications about the soul that they got from some religion that they mostly no longer believe in or practice and, and woven in there then is a bunch of crazy ideas from Hollywood which you don't realize were actually designed just to market other products and that largely our understanding of the soul has very little to do with the observation of the soul in other words with reality and part of the value of looking to traditional pre-contact indigenous people around their understanding of the soul is not to dismiss them as primitive people as if we've obviously got this figured out better but to recognize these people who observed what happens to the soul when it dies what happens to the soul when it arrives what happens to the soul during the lifetime because they're watching that energy they acknowledge it as a real energy they're not all caught up in its relationship with some god that's judging it but they're just watching a human being and their soul go through life and seeing what happens and from that coming to understand what practices do human beings need to engage in so that the life of the soul is fruitful in their time here on earth. And so shamanic people don't all agree in the exact same definition of reincarnation, but most of them see some, some version of reincarnation, some sense that this particular life is not your only time here and that there is a kind of a cycling that goes on from this very short time of incarnation in a body back into the realm of the ancestral helping spirits and some sort of movement through the wherever and then coming back in as a descendant and that this is a great cycle of life and that it moves and turns and that your actions when you are alive, have a profound effect on the quality and the strength and the luminosity of your soul in this life. That it is not a given that you were just sort of given at birth that rides along. That it is uh, the point, the expression of your soul and the manifestation of it here through your life is the point of your incarnation. And so the soul, from a shamanic perspective, and again, different cultures discuss different um, 
multiple components that come together to be energetic components that come together to what we would commonly call the soul. Um, most shamanic cultures around the world do see this sense that the soul is actually a composite of different energies that are that all come together and work together to be what we call the soul. So there are many different versions, but the main themes that you see repeating when you start to look at this cross-culturally it are three important ones, and these are the ones we focus as contemporary people on, and we're just trying to observe those three in my shamanic community, right? And so these three parts would be the physical body as a, as a manifestation of something here in physical form because from a shamanic perspective, there is life force energy in everything that is manifest, everything, including the things we consider trashy and toxic. There is still some quality of life force energy in it because it is manifest here. So if you follow that logic, the human body, which is a highly complex energetic system, has its own life force energy. Into that life force energy comes what is generally referred to as the immortal soul or the part of the soul that is moving through that cycle of reincarnation however we understand that and so that part of the soul moves on or is supposed to move on at death right we'll just look at the best case scenario moves on at death into that great recycling the energy of the soul that is part of the body is meant to go back to the earth where the substance and form of the body came from and goes back to the earth now in shamanic cultures the the really important thing that we're talking about is this third component which is essentially the cultivation or the putrefication of your soul through your life choices. And so the idea that in this life you arrive with gifts, you have ancestral helping spirits, what do you do with that? What do you do with your gifts and your spirit help? What do you create and cultivate, cultivate that isn't the expression of the reason your soul came in the first place? And in doing that, you strengthen the quality of your soul. It's, it's actual literal strength to withstand challenges in life, uh, things that appear to threaten it. It's maturity. It's um, uh, uniqueness. And in, in, in creating and manifesting its medicine in the world, there is a quality of luminosity that comes from this awareness that I'm no longer here just for me and my soul's purpose, but my soul's purpose serves something larger than who I am. And you start getting a sense of your perceived individual soul in its relationship with the great oneness. And as you ideally, as you age in life, you hang out more in the oneness and begin to remember the great expansive, massive capacity of your soul in this life. And, that, and so what you do with your awareness of your soul in this lifetime matters. So your choices do matter. They, every single choice you make with your free will affects your soul in one way or another. Okay. So – it's not something to get all fussy and precious and um, uh, it's something to understand is sacred but not precious in the sense of putting it on the mantle and letting it just sit there and dusting it. But you gotta you gotta get in, you gotta let your soul into your body and take it out every day and you know, work your soul and your body together until they're exhausted and drop into a deep, deep, yin nourishing sleep and get up the next morning and do it again. You know, the soul is not meant to be set over there to be held in safekeeping. The soul is meant to be in the body, and so we need to live in the body in a way that holds the soul in safekeeping. Okay, so this brings us to soul loss. So many of the practices in shamanic cultures, which are similar to the practices my own students struggle to bring into their contemporary lives, are meant to allow you as a human 
in your human body to create space in your human body that makes it safe for your soul, which is precious, right, but not precious, right, my precious, right, it's sacred. So how do you carry this sacred worthy being into the world and do what it's come here to do, right? And so soul loss happens when we are unable to protect our soul. And that something occurs that startles us or frightens us and makes us afraid either for our physical life. It can be something that makes us afraid for the, our sort of spiritual life, the life of our soul. We are threatened in many dynamics in life. We are threatened by people that are abusive but not physically abusive. They're psychologically or spiritually or emotionally abusive. So we can experience soul loss because the threat to our life and our sovereignty is coming at us on any of these uh, domains, basically. It can be a physical threat. It can be an emotional threat, a perceived threat. It can be a mental, in our mental life, the sovereignty of our mind and our right uh, to be a sovereign being, to see the world as we choose to, um, and then ultimately the spiritual. So, so what's the fundamental problem with fundamentalist thinking and the reason that it creates soul loss? It's because fundamentalist thinking in, in and of itself is not necessarily the problem. The problem with most fundamentalists is that they believe that everyone else needs to believe it too. And that's the problem. That's the only problem there. If you just keep it to yourself and use it to guide your own life and do so in a way that does no harm to any other living things, then that's fine. The issue is that the need to convert, the need to control the lives and the destinies of others. Okay, so that's what I mean by a threat to the mind, to the sovereignty of the mind and the right to choose what is true and clear for your own inner flames right and then okay so these are the kinds of things that can happen it can be impersonal like you're a kid you're riding your bike and you get hit by a car it's totally impersonal no one meant to hit you with a car but it scared the crap out of you it may have even been a life-threatening collision and so these are the kinds of things that can create you know impersonal soul loss you had some kind of physical illness as a kid and you got stuck in the hospital and it was scary and your parents couldn't be with you. These kinds of things can create soul loss. Nothing, there is nothing we can say always creates soul loss. These are the kinds of things that create soul loss because it's about fear and whether or not we are able to protect ourselves and our soul in that moment. And the problem, of course, with childhood is we are dependent on others and it is scary. Childhood is scary. And we, we aren't always able to protect ourselves in the moment, either because we don't know how or because people are ignoring what we need because we're children and they think they need, um, they think they know what they need or they're just neglecting us and not worrying about what we need. So there's all of these in, in, on to the more dysfunctional things that happen in families, which is where the family becomes the, the actual perpetrator and the thing that is violating your right to sovereignty and safety in your own body. Okay, so soul loss. So this is basically how we, ex we experience soul loss. It can be impersonal. That It's something that is just a pure accident, something – I mean, there's lots of just accidents that happen, and they can create soul loss. There are also dynamics in families, in your relationship with your school, your relationship with your church. You know, see, so the family, the school, the church, the culture, these are all, as we're ch when we're children, these are all systems of authority. And where that doesn't support us in our sovereignty and feels as if to us from our perspective and our soul's purpose that is threatening the survival of our true life, either in a moment, in a traumatic moment, or over time, so abuse over time, each day is tolerable, but over time it grows intolerable. It creates uh, cumulatively it creates the loss, the straw that breaks the camel's back moment where the moment isn't necessarily remembered the way we would remember a trauma. 
but cumulatively over that time that experience creates the soul loss so I had a great first grade teacher had an even better second grade teacher had a horrible third grade teacher third grade was awful and I experienced a lot of third soul loss in third grade just because of the the chronic low-grade problems that I experienced in that year of having the coincidence of a bad teacher in the year that my dyslexia emerged and nobody knew what that was. And so you put those two things together and I experienced a lot of terror in third grade. And this is, again – it's it's somewhat impersonal and sort of benign compared to what a lot of people experience. But the point is it did still create soul loss because I didn't have the capacity to articulate it as a child or protect myself in it. I couldn't – I didn't know what was going on. So I couldn't say this third grade teacher is a terrible teacher. These are the things she's doing. I'm having dyslexia right now. I need a teacher that can help me deal with this. Right? I couldn't articulate that. So consequently, I was unable to protect myself and eventually felt my sovereignty in some way threatened in that experience and experienced soul loss. So you can imagine if that kind of thing can create soul loss, imagine how much soul loss can potentially be created in families that are overtly abusive and traumatic experiences. Imagine that experience with people who grow up in a war zone, literal war zone in places in the world and we have many shows about men and women who go to war and the PTSD that comes from that so my point is soul loss right it can happen in many many ways personal and impersonal and it can happen not only in threat to your life your physical life but also things that threaten your emotional life your mental life and your spiritual life and so there are many, many vectors through which this can happen. And again, nothing is a given. It is not a given that something creates soul loss. And the two things that tend to do that, and so if you've experienced these things, I would definitely have them checked out because these two things do tend to create soul loss because they, they are contrary to the path of life. And that would be a child, a young child, losing their parent to some kind of um, either su sudden death, accidental death, unexpected death, um, or long-term suffering, or the converse, which would be a parent burying a small child, losing a child um, before their time. These, these two things have a tendency to create soul loss because there's this awful – not the right path of things quality to it. And yet it does happen. It is a big part of human existence. And they are two of the classic reasons that people experience soul loss back in the past in traditional shamanic cultures and in our current time. Okay. So. The other thing, the other dynamic that's important to understand about soul loss, which is why a lot of people overlook their soul loss, is especially in impersonal situations like the family moved. Mom or dad got a better job. The whole family got moved seven states away. And the environment for you and what you were doing in the old home that really supported your soul's purpose was no longer supported in the new home. So, for example, the old school had a great music program. New school didn't have any music at all. You need music to express your soul's purpose. So to move somewhere where there is no respect for music for one child would create huge soul loss. And yet other children wouldn't even necessarily notice. Because soul loss within families can also be very much soul's purpose dependent. If you get cut off from something that was really vital for your, <clears throat> your learning and growth – in the expression of your soul's purpose. So that's another important thing. So think back. You know, what are the stories that get told at Thanksgiving? Oh, you know, we moved to Washington and suddenly you started getting D's. Ha, ha, ha. That was such a horrible time for you. And, the, you know, the, these 
these times when different people in your family really crashed and really fell apart become these family stories and nobody realizes these stories are about when their family members lost parts of their soul. In Angelus Arian's Fourfold Way, she talks about when did you stop singing? When did you stop dancing? You know, the way children just dance whenever they want to. You know, when did you stop praying? That these are places of soul loss. Okay. So, what are the symptoms? The symptoms of soul loss are varied. They're, they they underlie just in, in a in kind of a blanket statement there is often soul loss underneath chronic chronic problems especially weird ones that don't respond to the um not just the physical uh not just sorry not just the allopathic medical system but also naturopathy chinese medicine you know these different ways of approaching how do we help the physical body to heal if your body is basically non-responsive and especially if it's non-responsive to pharmaceuticals which are really strong chemicals there's probably soul loss as part of the fundamental thing and that is not saying that someone who has chronic illness and has gotten their soul parts back should be better now so you should feel guilty it's i'm saying it's part of part of the platform that you would need to explore if you're wanting to heal from chronic illness it can be part of acute uh particularly if people have an acute injury and they get into a situation where the practitioners that are helping you say, wow, everything looks good. It's really healed up. I don't understand why you're still in pain. And I've shared a story about that in the other show about soul loss. I don't understand why you're still not healing, why this infection persists, why this cough persists, why these whatever persists after things apparently have healed. And that's usually because there was also soul loss at the time of that acute event. Um, if you are unable to grow up and you can from your family of origin stories, from the traumas you experienced in your family of origin, if you are unable to clear those triggers, clear that energy, move out of those patterns and manifest something different in your life as you choose to, if you are doing your work and it is not shifting, then there is definitely soul loss behind that. Now, if you're not doing your work, there's probably soul loss in there too, but it's hard to say definitely because you haven't done anything else yet either. You're just going around expecting the world to stop triggering you, and we all know how I feel about that. So anyway, moving on, staying on the topic of soul loss. Um, oh, there are many, many, many uh, symptoms of soul loss, but it has a lot to do with when we are in touch with our loss, our soul loss, we feel profound hopelessness despair we feel we are unable to affect a change on our situation whatever our situation might be we might have glimpses or dreams or visualizations of great abyss great holes that go on into nothingness and as we try to explore those dream figures we end up crushed in this horrible um, despairing hopelessness this sense of I will never be able to fix this and that's the feeling when we are doing our work or we tap into um, the hole that is left when the soul part leaves and it's just a part and it's not the whole thing it's just a part um, now this is part of the reason for example that many people particularly because a lot of people's plant medicine use these days is only loosely being held by the shamanic traditions they came out of and so when things happen outside of the basic often the people holding this space don't know how to respond to that a, a more experienced shaman would but anyway staying on topic soul loss so what i'm saying is someone might do several sessions with ayahuasca for example and have really positive experiences and then have a really un not positive experience one they can't understand and they can't fathom and often what happens is you're being shown your soul loss you're with a shaman who doesn't know how to deal with your soul loss 
And so your the loss itself and the hopelessness and the despair starts to take on a story or an interpretation. You start to give it meaning based on your contemporary life, based on the weirdness of the shamanic world and maybe some sort of evasive energy. Anyway, my point is you begin to make up a story for yourself to give the crushing hopelessness and despair or fear or paranoia, things that arise, this other meaning instead of being able to recognize you or the person holding the space who should be able to recognize, oh, you just got shown by ayahuasca your soul loss. That's all that just happened here. It was a gift. Ayahuasca just diagnosed you're in a state of soul loss. You need your parts back. That's all that happened. No more meaning, no more drama, no more blah, blah, blah. The problem is once you you are at a place in life where your soul loss has been exposed through the power of your practices, whatever your practices might be, that once your soul loss has been exposed, we have a tendency to then begin to manifest more and more events in our life that are trying to provoke us to go get our part and bring it back. But we're not the one who can do that. And so there's a tendency then for these experiences that expose our soul loss to then start to churn in our life as we start really repeating the pattern that has been set in motion in our life because of the original soul loss event. And most people don't remember their original soul loss events. That's why the part leaves. It leaves to take that trauma. I realize I didn't actually define that yet. But the soul loss occurs because we can't manage the situation we can't protect ourselves in the moment and so a part of ourselves splits off for the good of the whole it takes the upset the trauma the pain the whatever away outside of our sphere of influence so the person that's left is not distracted from figuring out how to simply cope and carry on And so most of us, by the time we come into our young adult life and 18 or 19, have multiple events of soul loss and we're trying to form a sense of our identity in the world without without being here completely. And so our sense of ourself is really the self who is coping, the self who has adapted to multiple events of soul loss. And so our sense of ourself is deeply distorted by the fact that we are not all here. And every soul part that comes back changes and transforms the core person that we really are when they ultimately come back. But they need to be found and brought back. And so soul loss, we're kind of still on that topic of how you would know you have soul loss. One of the best signs of soul loss in your life is chronic patterns and particularly chronic persistent patterns that you are endeavoring to change but they're not changing. It's a big sign of soul loss being underneath things and and the other thing to understand about soul retrieval work is i i believe personally because our culture is not op- our american culture the culture in the united states is not operating operating in a way that really vigorously supports the cultivation and health and well-being of people's souls it's more worried about whether you're going to make enough money to shop so because it's not doing cultivating the soul because of that i know in my experience my helping spirits don't do soul retrieval precisely the way they used to when people lived in cultures that did care about the cultivation of their soul because it would be um, unhealthy to do that because if you brought everybody's soul parts all back all at once when they didn't lose them all at once, they lost a part and adapted. They lost another part and adapted. They lost another part and adapted over time. And so the way the helping spirits for me now today in the contemporary world bring soul parts back is they bring a group of parts back and you integrate them and it changes you and you unadapt, become more truly yourself which puts you in a position where you're able now to receive other soul parts back that you couldn't have integrated before. And so these soul parts get brought back and you integrate those parts. That changes you and you evolve into a person who's capable then of receiving other soul parts back. And it's not an endless process. There, there, there's only a finite amount of soul loss in this life. But 
it's not necessarily a process that's best done precisely as it was done in the past by bringing all the parts that are lost back all at one time because most contemporary people, because of the adaptation and the time frame involved in the loss, need time to unadapt. And in that way, um, so part of recognizing chronic patterns was my point is you can recognize chronic patterns at any level of health and well-being. So you could have had a soul retrieval 10 years ago that really helped you get to where you are now. But that doesn't mean as you look at your chronic patterns now that you're all done with the benefits you could receive from that form of shamanic healing. That it should always be on the menu for possibilities that would help you to deal with anything that is chronic, that is persistent, that refuses um, other modalities and treatments, anything that um, – oh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, and anything that brings you to those feelings of hopelessness and despair, um, fear um, around survival um, and an inability to maintain, I haven't said this one yet, your inability to maintain your energy body in a way that supports you in doing your work in the world as you are currently consciously in your mind and heart prepared to do. But there is likely some fundamental leak somewhere. And it's important to realize that at every level of consciousness and healing we get to, it actually exposes the possibility for other forms of healing that's needed at least that's how i understand healing now is not that you're broken and you need to be fixed but that this is a process of learning and growth and coming to wholeness and that as we do that we become better able or we gain a new perspective to receive other soul parts back and integrate them again it's still a finite number but um I personally, in my own experience over 30 years of soul retrieval work, believe that people um, gain the most from their soul retrievals if they take time to integrate a group that comes back, meaning from one to five soul parts. Every once in a while more than that, but rarely, usually more around three, and integrate them. That opens them up, live in a new way, get to a place where you're ready to bring other soul parts back and integrate them. Okay, so... I'm running out of time, so I'm going to move along here. Um, so I have a whole section here I was going to talk about, about getting into the mechanics of why other modalities don't work all that well to bring soul parts back. Um, and I'm, I'm not actually going to take time to do that today. Uh, suffice it to say, it, it was all about getting to a place of simply saying the, it's the right tool for the job. And, and that's true for all healing. If what I need is a massage, going off and doing, you know, crazy woo-woo, not going to help for me to just go take pharmaceuticals. I need crazy energy woo-woo work that nobody understands what's going on, but it fixed it. And, and you're never going to do that thing again. That's just what you needed in the moment. So my point is the right tool for the job really matters. And when you are in a state of soul loss, the simplest way with the least amount of traumatizing yourself and the uh, least amount of time and for most people, the least amount of money uh, to get your soul parts back is to just go get a soul retrieval, which is a form of healing that requires a shamanic trance state. And yes, it requires a shamanic trance state to just go get the lost soul parts and put them back. It's really simple. <laughs> it is really, really simple. If we look at it through the shamanic healing lens of soul loss and soul retrieval. Use the shamanic trance state to do what it does, which is allows the shaman to exocular connection to time and space, move into the past when the soul loss happened, and grasp the part and put it back, which is why it's not just mediumship and telling you about your soul loss, but actually doing the transformational work with the soul part so that it is able to let go of where it is and come back to present time, to come forward into present time, and then the ability to put it back in the body where it belongs. And this is one of the steps a lot of people who think they're doing soul retrieval miss is they don't get it back in the body of the person where it belongs. And then the final step 
from my perspective as a contemporary practitioner is then to support the person in the integration of the part once it's back. So what I want to talk about right now is just that I have listened to many people talk about what they think is another way of doing soul retrieval. And often what they're talking about is the return of other parts of ourselves that are not soul parts. We experience our parts as parts. It doesn't matter whether they're marginalized selves or shadow selves or dissociated selves or actually soul lost selves. And dissociated selves are not the same as soul lost, soul part selves. And these are all different ways that we fragment. And they all have their own kind of modality for bringing, for connecting to them and bringing them back. Okay, they all need to come back and they all need to be integrated, but they're not all necessarily soul parts. And so when people listen to these practitioners who say, well, this is just like soul retrieval work and you have that feeling of bringing parts back, of clearing energy, bring parts back, it's wonderful healing. I teach many of those skills myself. It's part of my own template for healing, but it's not soul retrieval work because you have to leave this space and time to go get them and to bring them back. Now, on the other show about soul retrieval, it talks about spontaneous soul retrievals. They do happen and they should be considered valid, but it's a very small percentage of the time. Okay. Because you adapted to the part being gone and the part is trying to be gone to protect you. That's the last information that it got from you is be gone, protect us, protect the whole, right? And so, and there's been no more communication for the most part. And so you're the last person who can go find yourself because you lack the perspective because you adapted to it being gone. And the beauty of having someone else do it for you is they can be clear. They don't have the same bias. They don't have the same experience. They don't have your exact same trauma. And they're capable of showing up on your behalf and negotiating for you to bring parts back. It's the simplest way, the least traumatic for the soul part or for the person. And it's the most complete way to bring soul parts back and there's no reason not to do it there's people that can do soul retrieval all over the world now traditional people and people like myself who are authentic but non-traditional people there are people who can do soul retrieval there's no reason not to do it the only thing you should look for is someone who is truly initiated into the work and someone who will support you in your integration now for myself um I learned to do soul retrieval in person and I was forced by circumstances with my own students and my community to teach myself to do it at a distance and over time as I got more comfortable for how it worked at a distance, I learned how to be able to do soul retrieval work at a distance and so that is something that I, I, I am now able to do but I wasn't in the beginning of my practice and for some practitioners, they're not going to be. They, they, they don't have that ability others will cultivate that ability others started out with it right and so you know different practitioners are different all you need to do is to begin to do some research check around okay so so what happened to you when your soul retrieval didn't change your life okay so i want to always give big respect to people that have had a soul retrieval it didn't work. You know, their experiences, it didn't really change anything, right? That they actually come to have another soul retrieval. I, I, I have a lot of respect for people that are willing to overcome that past experience and, and come and try again. Okay, so a soul retrieval, one soul part coming back should actually change your life in ways that are pervasive. They may be subtle, but they are pervasive. And they change some pattern of how you were behaving, or how you were feeling energetically or or some emotional pattern. They change something in a fundamental way and you no longer have to try to make it different. It just is different. That's what one single soul part will do. Okay. So if that didn't happen, what happened? Okay. Well, it's always possible these days that you you were not guided effectively in how to follow up. Because in traditional shamanic healing, there's no need to follow up because the soul retrieval from a timing perspective happens in such close proximity, close timing to the soul loss that the person has not had a chance to adapt yet. 
So while the soul loss may is often in the past more significant to the point where the person may be wasting away, so it's an enormous part of their soul that's been lost, um, it also usually isn't gone long. People notice, they see what's happened, they diagnose what occurred, and they bring a shaman in or take the person to a shaman so the retrieval can happen in very close proximity from a timing perspective. Right? That's not what happens for us as contemporary people. Right? So we have adapted and so we need help for, for many reasons. That's one of many reasons we need help in understanding how to integrate the soul parts once they come back. So that could be what happened. You weren't guided in how to do it. You didn't know how to do it. And so you didn't do it. And, and for people that are in that state, you can always just do it. Your soul part probably didn't go anywhere, but it also probably didn't get integrated. And that's why you didn't feel the fundamental change. Now, the other possibility is that they did give you the information you needed to follow up, but you just bailed. You didn't do it. You didn't do your part. Um, it's often because your soul parts and their emotions scare you. And you're, you don't find the courage of heart to be there as the grown-up and be what they need and to feel what needs to be felt. Or your soul parts don't like you and you get all bent out of shape about that instead of recognizing just like a parent sometimes has to recognize with their children, your children don't always like you. Your soul parts don't always like you. Grow up. So what? Your job is still to help them to integrate. And the other thing is that your soul parts need you to be the grown-up. They need you to be the adult that you needed in your life when they left, especially if they're child parts. And so consequently, some people won't be a grown-up. You know, they're still waiting for someone else to show up, right? You're the one. So um, the other thing is uh, many people expect a magical healing they don't have to participate in, that they've come in to get a soul retrieval. They've heard that it changes everything, and they have this idea that means I'm going to get this fundamental change in my life without changing anything, and it doesn't work that way. The other thing that could have happened is that your soul retrieval came hand in hand with prescriptions. Maybe they were rituals, maybe they were practices, maybe it was spiritual bathing. It was just something that you needed to do and you didn't do those things along with your soul retrieval, your soul, uh, your, your integration of your soul parts after your soul retrieval. So those are, those are some examples of the kinds of things that do tend to happen with contemporary people reaching out to get soul retrieval work, especially if they don't have their own helping spirits and their own journey practice to assist. So it can happen. And the important thing is to be honest about what did happen and go back and fix that because your soul parts most likely didn't go anywhere. They're still waiting for you to show up and do the integration, waiting inside of you for you to show up and do the integration. And then, of course, the other option is you got a quote-unquote soul retrieval from a quote-unquote shaman. In other words, you didn't really get a soul retrieval from someone who really wasn't a shaman. So, Because soul retrieval is kind of a defining practice of someone who is a shamanic healer. And there are people – it's easy to learn. You just pay your money, you go take a workshop. That does not mean you should be doing it or you're capable of doing it well. And so there's always the possibility that you worked with someone who didn't know what they were doing and they thought they did a soul retrieval, but they really didn't. And that, that, is, that is a possibility as well. So I think we're going to have to have a part two to my uh, soul loss show here. Um, So I'm going to close at this point here today with this um, kind of more contemporary talk here about soul loss. Um, I want to say, um, first, enormous gratitude to my helping spirits who got stuck with someone who didn't have a clue what she was really doing, just had a technique, and actually taught me how to do something um, that can make a profound effect in people's lives. And it is a deep expression of my own soul's purpose to do that work. And I am deeply grateful for my patience and the constancy of my helping spirits in training this humble human. (laughs) So I give thanks to the ancestors that have gathered around us here today, to the earth below and the sky above, that beautiful center channel that connects us and infuses and inspires and illuminates the heart. And I give deep gratitude for the spirit of the heart that unites us all. 
we are um, possibly still taking um, a registration for Mass of Illusion, um, the beginning of the cycle teachings here. Uh, the dates are June 4th through 9th, and so it's coming up very quickly. Registration is on the homepage of the Last Mass Center website. Registration is also up and running for all of the classes through the year. Um, there have been some changes, so you should check the website. Um, the advanced actual energy clearing class is happening September 15th through 17th in Portland. You can look at the go to the website for more information. But this is for people who have learned the energy clearing practice that I teach and want to take it to the next level. And with that said, in June and July there will be an online energy clearing class that is that can be seen as the prerequisite for the advanced class in the fall. And for more information about that, go to lastmaskcenter.org and connect with Andrea, um, who has more information and can help you with uh, scheduling and registration. So I want to thank you all for listening here today. Part two will come next week. Um, Have a great week.